0: This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Eric Barnes and Jack Frew. Hello and welcome to the Laravel News Podcast. I'm Eric Barnes and with me today is Jack. So Jack, how are we doing? I am doing well, man. And uh, am I to understand that you survived the hurricane? Yeah, we we actually just uh, barely kind of hit the edge of it. We just had rain for one day and and a little bit of uh, wind, but nothing nothing major here. So that was that was good.
1: Uh, it's good to know that uh, that you were safe and no damage or anything like that. Nothing to worry about. Right,
0: right. Well, Eric, what do we have in the news uh, this week? Should we get our announcement out of the way? Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. So, um, what we've uh, what we're going to do for the podcast is actually go on a little short break. Um, now through the end of the year, that way because um, all the holidays are coming up and and just all the other stuff that goes on. Um, so we're going to actually call this the end of the year episode. Eric, I think I heard the sound of
1: a thousand little screams saying no out in the internet just now. But <laughs> uh, but yes, folks, you heard it right. We're going to take a little time off. Uh, we've really enjoyed doing the podcast, and we have a podcast for you today. So don't don't turn it off just yet, uh, Eric. You've got a bunch of other news today as
0: well, right? Yeah, yeah. So. To start off with, I wanted to talk about uh, a new thing that I I relaunched uh, last week, and that is uh, the new Laravel Links section on Laravel News. Now, is that the
1: one where a user can submit a link on your website? So was that down for a while?
0: Well, it was never reworked into the new site. So it was kind of left alone off into its abyss of nowhere. Okay. uh, So what I did was, you know, fully integrate that with the main site now and... um, and with that, I actually added a Twitter account just for that. So whenever you submit a link, it'll actually go out to Twitter um, and get auto-published that way, too. So that way, you know, more people can can kind of get access to, it, to what you've created. Um, you know, basically, it's just a service to try to help the community out, try to help, you know, bring forward all this uh, awesome stuff that everybody creates.
1: Yeah, no, I think it was a great idea when you did it the first time. I didn't realize that it hadn't kind of uh, been updated. So did you do all the development work on that
0: yourself? Yeah, well, I basically had it all, so I just kind of copied and pasted a lot of stuff, and then and then reworked it to be simpler. Okay, Um, I actually hook into an API that so basically you enter your link, and it automatically fills out the the title and the meta, you know, and it pulls the description from your meta description. Oh, nice! Is that is that new? Yeah, that part's new. So it's it's super simple to add your link now. Um, Okay, and and then of course too, it's going to also be used to feed into the newsletter, so so it'll help me there, you know. As far as making saving time to when I'm creating the, the newsletter
1: at the end of the week, I was going to ask: Did you add any kind of back-end automation to where you can just go in and kind of say like this, this, and this, make it into the newsletter now?
0: Yeah. Well, the, the way I basically have it is uh, there's a special admin page, and it lists just you know a list of all the links submitted this week, and then I'll just go through and copy and paste. Um, if it's too many, you know, I'll pick and choose. But it's kind of crazy since it launched. I think there was I don't know maybe or more last week. And then this week, it seems like it's 50 or so. So it's, it's kind of crazy how many, how many links are actually there. And, and so I have to kind of pick and choose from them for the newsletter since it's too many of them.
1: I tell you between, you know, the whole imposter syndrome and worrying about whether we know enough and then just trying to keep up with everything, right? It's like, it's almost a full-time job to just keep up on what everybody else is doing, you know, Mm -hmm. it's challenging. So. I mean, for that, I think your newsletter is awesome, and i you know long before we started the podcast, I was a newsletter subscriber, and it was a great way once a week to kind of get an update of what I felt like. I figured like as long as it's going through your head, like the most important things will filter through right, right. and then it kind of helps me like filter out all the noise and all that stuff
0: yeah yeah that, that was kind of the whole purpose of the newsletter in the first place. just to kind of bring you know a, a quick overview once a week that way everybody can stay kind of up to date without having to to you know, read every single day of what's going on. So yeah.
1: God, wouldn't, wouldn't life be amazing if you had time not only to read the newsletter, but all of the articles it links to, and then work through all the code samples that are linked to, I mean, like you would just know everything at that point. You know what I mean? You'd be like Neo from uh, the matrix. Right. So, um, but anyway, well, that's cool, man. That's uh, that's awesome. What else do we got to cover this
0: week? There's been a lot, a lot going on in the world. Yeah, so I wanted to, to uh, Laravel 5.3.18 just released. And what that did was add brand new um, improvements to the Laravel unique and exist validation rules. Previously, it was just like this long string. It was like you would, I always had to, to consult the documentation on it. But so like if you wanted to do a, a unique validation rule, you'd have to enter the table, the column name, the ID, um, and something else. There was like four or five different Items that went in the string that would you know internally be processed into the query to to check that it's it's a unique record. Um, so what Taylor did was he actually changed that. So instead of using the string format, you can actually use it uh, more like in the fluent syntax. So now you can do like rule unique users, you know, ignore user ID, and then where which has the same query as you're comfortable with. So basically. It kind of unifies it with the whole um, fluent syntax of of uh, the database and everything. So it's it's I, I like it. I'm a big fan of the chain. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then also behind the scenes, it actually takes that query and it converts it back down into the original string. So oh, really, so it's fully backward compatible. So that that's super nice. That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. Also in
1: Laravel related news, I think did uh, did I hear you say that all the Laricon EU videos
0: are now up? They are, yes. Uh, Twenty videos, they're all now up and live on YouTube. Um, I have it covered on the site, so we'll link link over to that so you can go watch them all. But yeah, nice. and then and then actually there was an unofficial conference too this week of uh, what? Laracon, yeah, Laricon Brazil, really, um, and. Uh, they had, it, it looked like it, it was pretty successful. They ended up having 10 talks. It was a one-day conference. They had, you know, nice little goodie bags and all kinds of stuff. Really? Any idea how many people showed up? I don't know the number. Um, you know, 100, 100 or more,
1: probably. Decent turnout. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, that's I think that's wonderful, right? Because, uh, you know, it's hard to get over to any of this. You know, the, you, know you, you have one location in the United States and you have one in, yo know, Europe, right? I saw, by the way, that... Uh, Taylor tweeted, like, where would you be most likely to attend next year's Laricon? And his choices were Louisville, Chicago, and I think San Francisco. And, and I, I hate to say it, but the the percentage for Louisville wasn't too strong. It was like 10% or something, right? Uh, Chicago, I thought was going to be higher, but it was, you know, not much better. And then it seemed like overwhelmingly people wanted it to be in San Francisco. Uh, But that makes sense to me too, because like, I live in Chicago. It's really an easy drive to go from Chicago to Louisville, which means that it's been very easy for me in the Midwest to get to the last two Laracons. Anybody out on the West Coast, on the other hand, has had to fly, right? So you probably have a whole group of people out there that would love to go to a Laracon, but just haven't because of, you know, um, you know the, the, the deal of having to try to get a flight and pay for all that stuff and, and all that thing. So... Um, so I don't know if he announced that that's where it'll end up being, but you know, it seems like if he was asking the question, that, that was at least a possibility.
0: Yeah, that would, that, would be, that would be pretty neat. I did see another one where he, he had a poll between San Francisco and New York, um, and I do not remember what, what was winning or what, which one won out there. Hmm. Um, so that, that would be kind of interesting, too. I know the very first—actually, I think the first Lyricon was in Washington, D.C., and then the second one was in New York— Okay, and then, it, and then it's kind of made its home in Louisville since then. So,
1: yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, to me, it seems like it makes sense to put it on the West Coast and, yeah. and try it out there and see yes. how it does there.
0: Here it is. The results from that poll was forty five percent San Francisco, fifty five percent New York. No, I so don't kind, of, know. kind of, kind of close together out of eleven yeah. uh, 1, hundred votes. I, I personally, I want San Francisco just because I've never been there. Yeah, um, but. But yeah, yeah, I think there's so much involved in planning a conference. You know, all these are going to be so expensive. So I,
1: I wanted Chicago because I knew I could afford it, right? Because I could just stay at drive. home and drive in every day, right? So, um, so that's cool. Let's see, what else should we talk about today? Uh, you want to talk about those Lean Pub
0: changes? That was kind of a sudden thing. I thought, yeah, that was kind of interesting. So Lean Pub announced a new pricing model, and and the way it used to be was it was free to write your book publisher your book, basically everything they offered was free, and then if you sold it through LeanPub, they took ten percent or yeah it was like ten percent and then thirty cent or something something like that it''s,
1: it's not it's not it's, it's, it's very fair.
0: I definitely know that but uh, yeah, yeah. So, so they've changed that because what what I believe was happening was a lot of people was using their service to write their book and then exporting it as a PDF and an ePub and then going over and selling it through either their own website or these other, you know, selling vendors. Right. Um, so what they've done now is it's $100 a book. Um, so if you want to create a book, it's $100 flat rate. You can just do whatever you want to with the, with the exports. Yeah. So one thing that
1: uh, they did make a comment about when they announced this is that any existing book has not been affected by this. So if you guys remember from some of the previous episodes, I started kind of what I called a free open source book, called Working with Laravel Forge Servers, which, by the way, I think I updated like two weeks ago and didn't say anything about. Um, But anyway, that book, I I didn't pay $99 for uh, back then, and I don't have to now. As I I understand, I can continue to make updates to that book for free, which is good because I I, I don't charge anything for the book. I think I, I offer people to, you know, the ability to donate money, and I think I've gotten like, a couple of people gave me a buck and a couple of people gave me $2. So I think I've got like, seven dollars in revenue which is like three something after lean pub takes their cut or whatever so like i have never even claimed it's still sitting out there i'll send it to taylor one day um but uh yeah i don't know i it's it's interesting i mean i think they were probably to some extent being taken advantage of to some extent they probably i mean it was a service they were offering though so uh i feel a little bad because i feel like it's going to drive people away from their platform there's plenty of tools you can use that'll convert markdown into a PDF or HTML or whatever. In fact, if you're thinking about writing a book, one of the tools that I've used before is called Marked2 by, I think his name's Brett Terpstra, if, that, if I've got that right. he's a He tweets quite a bit. Um, that, does, that tool does a great job. There's you know, plenty of other tools. So, you know, the weird thing is, is like I never actually needed LeanPub. I just happened to use them because I saw other people using them. And I think other people use them because they were, you know, a free and cheap way. But uh, maybe in a way, maybe this will almost be easier for folks. It would have been, For the book that I did, I'll tell you this, it would have been easier to just create the darn thing in Microsoft Word, format it exactly the way I want, and then do like print to PDF and put it on a website somewhere. That would have been way easier than, you know, like, because the first time I used LeanPub, I had to figure out like, okay, well, what has to be where and what format has to be what and all that stuff. So, um, you know, for publishers, I shouldn't say for publishers, for authors, I actually think this isn't going to have much of an impact, but I think it's going to impact LeanPub negatively in the future. So uh, this is
0: just my take on it. Yeah, it could be um an, another tool that I've been using is uh, Ulysses for the Mac. Oh,
1: was that the one with the butterfly? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've, I, I, I hear good things about that. It's like just outside of my like like I'll give someone like 10 bucks to try something,
0: but that isn't that like 50 bucks or something, Yeah, I right? think like, so, right. Yeah, so how do you like Ulysses? I, I like it. So so what um like I created a little Laravel I think it was called Laravel Journal um kind of the I want to say a few months ago and I sent it out to to kind of all my special subscribers, the people that donate. And um, I created it in Ulysses, and then just it has an export to PDF, export to EPUB, and then they have all these templates you can download, so it, it automatically formats everything. And, and it seemed to work pretty well. Do you so, know, does, does Ulysses handle code well? It, it does, but it's kind of funky. Like, to write a code block, you have to, um, you know, it's, it's marked down. So normally you would, like, put code in the three back ticks, yeah. Um, to open it and then three backticks to close it. So the way Ulysses parses that is weird. So what you have to do is actually like do um, percent sign twice to, and it makes it into a raw okay. um, section and then do your three ticks and then it, it carries down. So that is the that is my one complaint with the app is, is how you write actual code blocks. I think that's my
1: complaint with Markdown in general is that like it started out as this kind of idea, but I feel like, Somewhere along the line, someone added the ability to do code blocks, but it wasn't probably part of the original thought process of the guy that did it. Who was it? Was it? Who did? Was it John Gruber? Who did Markdown originally? Yeah. The Daring Fireball guy? Yeah. You know what I mean? So so what happened then is I feel like this spec got fragmented, right? GitHub has their own flavor of Markdown for code, and Ulysses, you're saying, has a special way of doing it, and I'm finding the same thing in other tools, and it's not... It's not unified. One thing I was just looking at, Ulysses on the App Store here, because it's it's like $45, man. It's still a lot of money. But uh, one thing they have that actually, I, I hate to say it would be really valuable to me, is it looks to me like they almost keep all of your, like all the stuff you've created in it, almost like in like an inbox. Like it looks like it looks like mail. Like one of their screenshots, I'm like, is that mail? But the thing is, is I was just looking for an article earlier today, which actually I'm going to talk about in a little bit. And it took me like 10 minutes to find it. The organization part would actually be Really, really useful if you're, if you're a person like me who has so much content that you're, you're starting to lose track of it. And uh, um, Eric and I were just talking before the show about backup tools, right? Like I use Backblaze and it turns out Eric does as well, but we both use Dropbox. And what that ends up doing is I end up having like some content that's in Dropbox and some content is in my documents folder on my Mac. And then there's a couple things I have a different folder for. And you, know, you end
0: up having like things in multiple places. It's just, it's easy to get distracted. Yeah, and another thing with Ulysses is it has, uh, if you're a sublime text user, it has kind of a similar feature as Command P, so you can pop up the quick search, and then you can it just searches all your documents and it oh instantly nice. load them up. So that's nice. You know, yeah. now do
1: question. Do you remember what you paid? Did you end up paying forty five bucks for it, or is it the kind of thing that goes on sale for thirty from time to time?
0: Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure I paid the forty five dollars for it. Okay, um, but of course, you know, I write posts every single day, so it's kind of just. Yeah, Part of it's, my it's, it's, the,
1: the, the cost relative to the use that you're going to get is like a far better equation for you than for me. Right. Like I right, would pay $45. Right. I'd open it up. I'd type in like, hello, world. And then I'd be like, all right, well, that was cool. And then, <laughs> you know, at the end of the month, I'd have this visa bill that has, you know, all sorts of $45 purchases. And
0: it's got good reviews. I'll give them that. How about yarn? Have you have you checked out yarn yet by Facebook? They they that came out this week. Um, and what it does is a. uh you know, it, it's basically, the way I understand it, it sits kind of in between NPM, and it makes installing all of your NPM assets, like, super fast. Really? Um, yeah, it cuts the install time down to, you know, to, like, uh, on a fresh install, I think it was, like, seven seconds, maybe. Um, and it actually creates a yarn.lock file, so that means uh, kind of like composer.lock. Yeah. So, you know, like, if you have a composer.lock and you hit composer install, it, it just does it really, really fast. Um, where npm, it, it, even if you had them, it's, you know, every time you run npm install, it pulls everything down, and it seems like it takes like five minutes. Um, so with yarn, you have the yarn.lock file, and you can just do you know yarn install or yarn, and uh, it'll it reads from the lock file, and then it just pulls them all down. And I think with a lock file, it's like three seconds on a Laravel install. Wow. You know, with all the Laravel Elixir assets and everything. Yeah. And then with a fresh, without the lock file, I think it's it's like 20 seconds or something. So it's it's way faster than NPM. And, and,
1: and just to clarify for the, you know, there might be a few new uh, new listeners. So Composer is a, um, what do we call it, like a package manager. It, it, it assists a user in getting a package from the internet. Like, so if you want to use somebody's, you know, whatever, um, maybe someone's got a grid or something like that you want to download npm was a javascript version of the same thing for handling javascript packages and then you're saying yarn is that now here's a question for you do you know does yarn use the npm repository it does so you don't have to publish things in two different places so that means it automatically works with all npm stuff it really could be a drop-in replacement for npm mm-hmm. you know what i just read about this week and it's been around i think for a while is the language called hack have you ever looked at that before i'm not There was, I guess, like a demo on Facebook. I found it in some guy's article and he he had a link to it. So it's Facebook, I think, is the one who created the language. But you know what it reminds me of is, you know how people are doing this like ES6 JavaScript stuff now where basically like the new JavaScript has like types, but you compile it down so that it works with the old JavaScript? Hack reminded me of that. Like it's, it's PHP with extensions and you write them in Hack and then like it... When it's all done, it ends up being like regular PHP is kind of what it looked like to me. I, and I didn't, I didn't get too far through the tutorial. I think I went through like 11 lessons or something. That's, that sounds like I did more than I did. 11 of the screens that were like, fill this out kind of thing. But uh, yeah, that was kind of neat. So, uh, so yarn, neat stuff. Do you think that's uh, going to end up being default Laravel at some point?
0: Oh, it already is. Yeah. They they already did it. <laughs> yep. It's uh, the yarn.lock is committed. So when you do a fresh install, it's already there. It's already on Forge and it's already on Homestead. So it's all set up and ready to go for you. Wow. Man, I
1: tell you. So I had three things uh, I I wanted to cover. So first of all, um, case sensitive issues when developing for really any kind of web development, but it it certainly has bitten me in in the Laravel world is um, I've gotten bitten where I have typed something in that did not match the case of, let's say, like a file name. And this just happened to me again the other day. And the problem that I've run into is that the Mac, which is where I do my development, is not case sensitive. So if I ask for a file, and let's just say that the name of the file is, you know, main with a capital M, M-A-I-N dot PHP, I can ask for that in my code as lowercase M-A-I-N PHP. And in the Mac, it'll pull that file just fine. But when you get it to Linux, that doesn't work. Linux will say file not found. And what ends up happening in Laravel quite a bit is you get class not found errors, right? So originally, I thought I was fixing this by going over to um, Homestead, right? Well, as it turns out, that when you use Homestead, you're, you're using a shared folder from your Mac. So the case sensitivity problem on your Mac then ends up being inherited into that Linux VM. Like all of Linux is case sensitive, except for the folder where you have your code, right? So that doesn't help. So uh, I wrote an article, and uh, we'll put a link to it in the show notes, um, What I basically did is you can create either a partition on your Mac that's case sensitive, or you can create, they call it like a sparse image. It's um, maybe a little bit like a zip file or whatever, but it mounts as a regular disk. I created a sparse image uh, that's case sensitive, right? And I have in the article how I did this because there's, ironically, there's a bug, at least in version OS X 10.11. I haven't upgraded to 10.12 yet where you create a case-sensitive sparse image and then you look at it and it's actually not case-sensitive. So you have to actually create it and then you have to reformat it and then it works fine. So I created this um, sparse image, which is case-sensitive, moved my code over to it, and then I used this, uh, I think it's called ln. There's a command that allows you to create a, a symbolic link. And the neat thing there is even though this was now in a different location if all the files still show up in the same old path that they were in, which means I didn't have to change anything else that I was using. Right. And I can tell you uh, happily that that has actually allowed me to catch an error in development that would have made its way over to production if I had not done this. So I think that's a good I think it's a good tip if, if you have that problem. You know, Eric and I talked about this a while ago. and Eric is like, why don't you just type in the right file name? You know, and, <laughs> and, and it's like, of course. Right. I mean, that's all of that's the problem with all of development. If you just type it in right once, you wouldn't need
0: tests. You wouldn't need you know, all these checkers, but, you know, me, I guess I just don't, I don't do that. So, so that was one thing. Yeah. The, yeah. For me, I was going to say the, uh, like on the terminal, when you're like, you know, uh, traversing your directories and everything, that always trips me up as far as being uh, case, you know, the case sensitive or not. Um, yeah. So, cause I, I've been using that, uh, that ZSH shell. Oh yeah. And, yeah. And it'll autocomplete. It doesn't matter the case, but then. Like just with Bash, it it's it wants it to be case sensitive, so so that that trips me up a lot, and and I'm sure there's a way of fixing that. I just haven't dug in to figure it out. I'm kind of getting used to it now, but yeah,
1: yeah. Well, like I said, it never hurts to do things the right way the first time, but it's also helpful. I think it's helpful to have your development environment, you know, be able to catch that before you before you get into production, because that's what happened to me originally. When I when i wrote, I think I wrote the article a couple months back, and then I'm just kind of getting around to getting it published now. But uh, so that was one thing. Um, Another thing I want to talk about, I have a book review. Well, uh, it's probably not a real review, but I read a book that I thought would be of interest to our users. So that's uh, something I want to talk about. Uh, But the other thing I want to talk about is PowerShell for Linux and Mac. So uh, if you guys have listened to the podcast, you know that my day job is more on the Windows side of things. And in the Windows world, they released this thing called PowerShell. I don't know. They're on version five now. So it's been around forever, right? It's it's six, seven years at least. and and I have to say, PowerShell's awesome. And I'm not just saying PowerShell's awesome and you're not, I don't want you to doubt me and be like, oh, no, no, Jack, I didn't, Jack said he didn't know anything. Like, everybody I talk to says PowerShell is awesome. Like, it doesn't matter if you're a Mac guy, Linux guy, whatever, like, PowerShell is awesome, right? Um, so through some, I don't know what happened, but they have now open-sourced PowerShell. They have released, I think, an alpha version for the Mac and for Linux, and I've tried it out and it actually works, so it's like working alpha software. Um, Some of the functionality of it on Linux and Mac is going to be useful, and some of it is not. And the reason I say this is that on the Microsoft platform, for example, let's say that you work with SQL Server. I just saw Chris Badaw, he just tweeted that SQL Server might be his favorite database so far ever, right? Well, Microsoft has extensions to PowerShell that lets you work with SQL Server. Well, this PowerShell for Linux and open source and stuff, that's all new. So those extensions are Windows only, right? Like they only work there. But the base core PowerShell does an awful lot of stuff like out of the box. Like they have a lot of like, you you know, CSV manipulation, uh, grabbing, you know, data off of a web service, you know, anything to do with the file system and processes and, and little scripts and things like that. Um, really, really cool. Now, if you're a fan of Adam Wathen's work, you know, he's done a lot of stuff with, uh, Collections, right? Yes,
0: collections. I, man, I can't go. remember the
1: title either. I can't either. But, but it, yeah, if you're a fan of Laravel collections, then like imagine an entire shell whose foundation is collections. They don't call it collections, right? But everything in uh, the, the key difference, I think, I could t- try to just explain in a minute over, over the radio, if you will. When you pipe a command in a normal shell in Linux or in Mac from one place to another, and that's common, right? You'll, you'll type a command. You'll use the pipe character, and then you might use grep or something like that to filter it out. What you're piping across is text. It's raw text, okay? When you pipe in PowerShell, you're piping actual objects, right? So imagine if a process list, for example, instead of just being a giant dump of text that you then have to try to figure out like which columns to parse and stuff like that was actually like an actual database table that got sent to the next command you piped it to, right? Which means that you can almost always like sort and filter and do all these like really, really cool things on the command line, like just like that, right? It's just it's, it PowerShell is awesome. So I, I hope that if you are in any kind of capacity where you need to use the command line for day to day stuff, you check it out because it's it's definitely it, it's definitely a really really big productivity booster. It is it is amazing. So that's PowerShell. So,
0: so, well, I tried PowerShell this week actually um, because uh, I was I was. Trying to, to fix a bug on a, uh, the customer had a Windows server, okay. and it was basically what it, our, our product, where I work with uh, Userscape, we create a, a commercial help desk called Help Spot, and it pipes in emails, and this one email was just having problems, so I was like, well, I'll, I'll try it. And so I Googled around and found this PowerShell script that will allow you to send an email file from the command line, or from, I guess it's from PowerShell. Sure. And uh, so I copied it over and, you know, created the, what is it, the PSY file? PS1, right? Yeah, PS1. But then I couldn't run it. It was like, you don't have permissions. So yeah. then I spent like two hours trying to figure out how to get the permissions. And then I gave up and I was like, I just found another one that would, uh, another extension through, that you can install through Homebrew that would do it. So okay. I can do it on my Mac instead. Nice. And, uh, it was, I don't know. So I'm, I'm not a, it's been so long since I've used Windows, like probably 12 years that I, I'm just so lost in anything Windows, it's just crazy.
1: Yeah, I, I think it probably is fair to say that just like when you first started doing Laravel development, you had to absorb things like Composer and you know, the web development environment, all these things that you probably know intuitively now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, PowerShell comes with some of those things too, like for example, out of the box, For safety, they make it so that you can't just run any old script you download off the internet, right? Right. And you ran into that. And the command to fix that is set-execution policy. But if you don't work with PowerShell enough, if you haven't been bitten by that enough, you won't know that. Just like when I was first working with Laravel, I think I even grasped Composer. But what's the command in Composer to refresh the the Composer files? Is it like Composer Uh, update? or, uh, or
0: Composer dump?
1: Maybe that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, I I like something wasn't working and it was because I had changed a file somewhere I shouldn't have. And I went to the forums and somebody was like, try this. And then it's like, Oh, okay. And you add that to your little list of things to remember and to know and stuff like that. And the other thing is you can configure a server so that um, that site execution policy can be permanent if you want, or it can be temporary, right? Like you can set it for the current session or you can set it forever. So uh, most of the time I don't ever run into that anymore because I've long since gotten all that stuff fixed up. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, the command that uh, Eric's talking about, send-mail message, and then you just give it little, um, you know, tags like who it's going to, who it's going from, body, or body as HTML if you want to send HTML, and then you need the name of an SMTP server. Um, and one of the things that's neat about uh, PowerShell is that all of the parameters autocomplete. So if you type in send-, well, first of all, everything autocomplete. So you can type in send- and start hitting tab, and it'll give you any command that starts with send, right? So you find your mail message, and then if you don't even know what the parameters are, you can just type a minus sign after a space, so you, your command space, minus sign, and you hit a tab, and it'll start telling you what the options are. Like, it, it'll ask, you know, the first one to be cc, and then two, and then, like, you know, and from, and all, like, so it's really easy to kind of use PowerShell um, commands that you don't know a lot about. Once you get past that, like, call it first grade level of education of how the system works and all that stuff, I mean, you do have to kind of cross those initial hurdles, but um, yeah, PowerShell's, PowerShell's awesome. <laughs> so last on the list is this book review. Um, so I read this book, and I, I'm going to disclaim this because my wife always argues with me. I didn't actually read it. I, I had somebody read it to me because I use the Audible book so that I can listen to it while I'm doing other stuff. Uh, the book was called A Mind for Numbers, How to Excel at Math and Science by Barbara Oakley. And the reason I bought this book was twofold. One, I'm sure it showed up on an Audible $5 sale because that's usually when I end up buying most of my books. And then two, I have a couple of kids in school. One's in college and one's uh, in, what is she, eighth grade now. Uh, so I'm always kind of interested in that. And that was my perspective. But as I was listening to this book, it occurred to me that, you know, learning things like Laravel and web development and all that stuff, that that's all hard stuff. And the techniques that she outlined in her book really, I think, appeal and apply to anybody trying to learn anything for any reason, right? Like, even though Eric and I are not in school, we both probably end up having to learn something new on a regular basis, right? So- uh, I, I'm not going to recite re- like recite the whole book for you, but little things that they talked about in the book were like little tricks. Like if you think of an idea or a problem before bed, there's a very good chance that your subconscious mind will process that problem overnight, and that you'll have a better intuitive understanding of it the next morning. You know, and she even gave an example where I guess like Thomas Edison, who he yeah. was kind of a famous inventor. I think he invented the light bulb, at least at least in the United States. That's what we're told. I don't know if that's true everywhere, but um, he used to try to take advantage of, of this kind of fact and what he would do is he would hold like a ball bearing over a glass plate and he would think of ideas like at night when he was trying to like kind of half go to bed but also half solve these problems so he would sit in his easy chair imagine a guy sitting in a chair holding a ball bearing in his hand over this glass plate and he would start to doze off Thinking of this problem, and then when he dozed off, what would happen? His hand would let go of the ball bearing. It would clank on the plate, and it would wake him up. And then he would write down like whatever he was thinking. Like like he was trying to get his subconscious mind to like you know, solve problems for him in that way, right? So, um, they didn't necessarily say that you should do that in the book, but they did. They covered a lot of good things. So I think it's
0: uh, it's definitely worth picking up. A Mind for Numbers by Barbara Oakley, and that is my Sweet. book. Sweet, it's awesome. Yeah, the, the, just talking about that glass with the thing. I I remember. I don't remember. Much about the story, uh, where it came from, or anything, but a guy used to take naps in the day, and he would hold a hammer in his hand, and then whenever he would fall asleep, he would drop the hammer and wake him up, and then he would he would uh, you know that was uh, his little power nap. Wow! And, then, uh, and he did that for that way he could you know rest and then get right back to work without without losing a whole lot of time. Um, I'll have to dig that up. I can't remember the whole story. On that or where I even heard it or or where yeah. it came from.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Um, I think that's all I have this week. Is that yep. all you have?
0: That's all we've got, yeah.
1: Well, if you listen to the end of this, I appreciate it. You've listened to the end of our I think this is podcast twenty-eight, the last one we're planning on doing this year. Uh, barring anything crazy like if, you know, Taylor releases, you know, RL six you know in November, we might we might have to hop back on or something. But um so we wanna say thank you so much for listening and uh for you know your nice comments online and sharing it with your friends and all that stuff and I saw one guy tweet um, last week about uh, Factorio. Did you see any other f- tweets about that? Like, I, I did not, no. I, I, you know, I was talking about Factorio last week, so one guy tried it, and he said he liked it, so at least I felt vindicated there. I'm like, yes, one other person liked <laughs> it. You know, so,
0: awesome. Yeah. Uh, any last words, Eric? Nope, nope, nothing. Nothing new and exciting. So we'll just, uh, I'll have a lot of p- posts published between now and the end of the year, so just keep up with the newsletter and and that's what I was going to say. You're, you're still doing the newsletter. That's still going to come out on
1: a weekly basis. So the only thing that's really changing is the, the podcast just to. Right. up some
0: time here. So awesome. Yep. Sounds great. And everyone have a uh, awesome rest of their year. Happy holidays and everything. Yep. Same thing here. I can't say anything any
1: better than Eric just did. So thanks again, everyone, for listening.
0: This concludes this episode of the Laravel News Podcast. If you like the show, please rate it five stars on iTunes. If you have feedback for the podcast, please email us at podcast at newscom Thanks for listening.